And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 177 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, 177 strikeouts has been done three times by three different giant starters. Matt Cain in 2010, John Montefusco in 1978, and Jonathan Sanchez in 2009, which makes me think that we're going to throw a no-hitter. On, uh, uh, <laughs> on today's podcast. Wow, what a link. I, how much, I, I'm always surprised by the research you put into our opening numerical uh, blurb, and this is a good one. That, that, that's really an eye-opener. Yeah, no, it's, it just happens to be three pitchers who have at least a perfect game or a no-hitter on their record. So I think, uh, I don't know, is that a good thing for a podcast not to have any hits? I think we're supposed to have hits. Uh, I, I, think, I think we are. Hits are good. His are good, yes. All right. Well, we'll try our best to, to push through. We have actual baseball to talk about, which is such a joy. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about spring training and this and that, and we've had our offseason. Uh, you know, here's what the Giants did this move and Buster Posey retired. Now, I like talking about baseball, and the baseball this weekend was good. Yeah, it sure was. I, I was thinking, driving back from the ballpark um, after Sunday's uh, victory over the Marlins, I thought, gosh, if, if every series is going to be like this to write about, it's going to be a pretty entertaining <laughs> year. And, you know, obviously picking right up from where they left off last year. I mean, you know, that, that's just this is how this team won 107 games was just winning series after series. And, you know, obviously it was a, a one run margin and required Harleen Garcia to escape a bases loaded situation and Dom Leon to brush off his first bad outing and be the closer du jour with with Tyler Rogers and Jake McGee being used in the first two games. So, you know, the margin was not super, super huge, but it wasn't really last year either. The Giants won a lot of close games and just found a way to to pull them out and, and, uh, and find sparks from different places. And, and this time it included uh, contributions from Joey Barton, Elliot Ramos. So the future has arrived. The future has arrived. It just, it was a, you know, it wasn't always crisp baseball. I mean, there were errors, there were mistakes and miscues, but it was good baseball. Like it was entertaining baseball. And I will say uh, I've I've tweeted this out and it's probably one of my favorite stats. I think it might be the lead of the article I'm writing. The Giants are on pace to win 108 games this year, which is perfect. It's just <laughs> one, one more. It's like, what if you had that, but, you know, one more. And so this is one more loud. How can they possibly improve on what they did last year? Well, you know, they followed their pattern of what they did on on opening day last year, they they blew a lead. And unlike <laughs> last year, they came back and won. So they're already one up on uh, 
on 2021. So that's pretty good. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating bullpen insofar as, as we are familiar with a lot of these pitchers, uh, but how they are going to be mixed and matched. Uh, I was very surprised to see Jake McGee come into the eighth inning with a couple of right-handers up on opening day. And then I was really surprised to see Jake McGee come into the seventh inning on Saturday. Um, Camilo Duvall, he comes in to a kind of a standard save situation in the ninth on opening day, but then he comes into the eighth inning to preserve a one-run deficit. You know, he, Gabe Kapler felt that's when the game was on the line. So really, there is just no set closer as of right now. There's just It just is, who is my best chance to win the game right now? I think it's a very aggressive bullpen mentality rather than a passive one. And most managers have a passive bullpen mentality. It's like, hope we get a lead so we can use this guy. I don't think that's what's going on here with Kapler and the Giants this year. Yeah, you know, I I think just talking to the coaches and, and it's it's one of those situations where you hope someone steps up and you hope someone does make it easy for you and you hope that Camilo Duvall is just like you know um, Josh Hader out there and it's just automatic and there's the, no question that that's the way you're going to line it up. But he's still a young guy. He's still a guy who's figuring it out uh, through a, way too many sliders. Got too slider happy uh, uh, when he ran into some trouble. Uh, and he's done that a couple times. And, you know, he's not sort of a fully formed uh, closer yet. And so I think they want to see him run with that job. They want him to have 30 plus saves this year. Um, but until that happens, you sort of just uh, you kind of just stir the mix and, and see what rises to the top, I think. And, and last year it was Jake McGee. Jake McGee was the guy who ended up being the most consistent and uh, and was the best performer. I, I don't think they would rule out using Tyler Rogers as the closer or Leon or, or, or any number of guys. Uh, it's if, if you show that you can do that job, um, then I think they'll roll with it. But until that happens, um, I think they'll sort of just kind of throw all the laundry in the in the washing machine, let it spin and, and see what happens. Yeah, there were a couple of relief appearances over the weekend that really impressed me. And Dominic Leone was one of them. Not the first one. That was a little bit rough. But when he came in for the save, he was flashing 97 miles per hour. He had a cutter that was, you know, backdooring guys. He looked really, really good. And then uh, Harleen Garcia looked excellent uh, in his two innings. And Jose Alvarez, his changeup is looking just gnarly. So you, you've got these guys and, and those are supposed to be like the back end of the bullpen, for lack of a better word. I mean, they're, you know, they're still high leverage relievers, but you're thinking uh, Duvall and Rogers and McGee when you're thinking the, the real tip of the spear. But I think the Giants have that depth and they knew they were going to have it, but you saw it on display. They won that series with those sort of back end guys. Yeah. And Alvarez, man, he, I mean, we're going on now. He, he's going to start on year two of being the, the tourniquet guy, the guy you bring in, you know, when, when you've got a sticky situation, you need to get out of it, inherited runners. He was so good at that last year. And, and, and he's already, you know, what he threw three changeups and, and got out of uh, his first jam and his first appearance. So, um, and Garcia did the same thing. So that, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I, it, it's sort of funny. The bullpen is probably not maybe what most people are thinking about after that first um, series with, with all the other things going on with Carlos Rodon's <laughs> debut with Logan Webb's uh, first start of the year with Bart, with Ramos. But, but you know, they don't win that series without the contributions from that bullpen. So, um, yeah, it's good that we're talking about it. Yeah, well, I was going to say segue into that uh, rotation because, uh, holy shnikes, Carlos Rodon, uh, that was something. And, you know, that was the one loss of the series. It wasn't his fault. I don't necessarily think he deserved to even give up that one run that he was charged with. But, uh, wow. Wow, wow. He looks uh, like he might be a dude. I mean, I know he finished, what, fifth in the Cy Young voting last year, so he shouldn't be that surprised, but I'm still, like, surprised. That was amazing. I was sort of watching it thinking, 
I started looking up the stats uh, on um, Statcast and Baseball Reference and everything for strikeouts and and uh, swinging strikes and and franchise records. I was looking that up in the second inning because it was <laughs> kid you not because I'm like this is like nothing I've ever seen before not since not since not only Lincecum but like Cy Young Lincecum before the World Series. Um, it was it was just dominant and and he knew it and Joey Bart knew it and the Marlins knew it. So um, yeah, that was uh, he threw ten straight fastballs all over ninety seven miles an hour, all with just a ton of carry that just overpowered uh, the the first three Marlins batters. And then he faces Avisail Garcia to lead off the second inning, a guy he knows from their time together with the White Sox. And he throws him not only four breaking balls in a row, but the first one's a curveball that he's hardly ever thrown before. <laughs> it's like, dude, not fair. Not fair. His uh, FIP field, uh, was it fielding independent uh, pitching uh, right now is negative 0.54. I think that's about right. I think he's going to allow negative half a run every game he goes out there (laughs) if he throws like that, because that was just wild. And it, you know, he's going to be a little bit of a Ferrari where you don't want to take him off roading in April. Like you want to make sure that you're going to he's going to do a couple laps and then get put back in the garage for a nice tune up. Uh, But you saw, boy. When when he can let it loose, like he's as good as any pitcher in baseball. And that was the goal of the offseason, I think, for the Giants was if we have Logan Webb and we feel confident that he can be a game one starter in whatever series we're going to be in, maybe a game two starter or someone who can be a complimentary co-ace like that's their target. And there were guys like that around. There was Robbie Ray. You could re-sign Kevin Gossman. There's Max Scherzer. They zeroed in on Rodon. And and I think it uh, right now, I'm not sure if I would take Scherzer over Rodon. I don't think I would take Robbie Ray over him, certainly for five years. I think they made the right decision from here. We'll see what we're saying in June, July, August, September, October. Yeah, I mean, you know, a couple months into the Johnny Cueto contract when he was starting uh, the All-Star game, you're thinking <laughs> what a great deal this was. So, uh, and, and granted, this is this is a two-year contract. Could it be just a one-year contract if Rodon opts out, which, I mean, gosh, <laughs> if he does opt out, it's going to work out great for the Giants because it'll mean that he had a lot of starts like the one he had in his debut. Uh, but you're right. We, we can't uh, we can't sort of judge, I guess, whether the Giants did the right thing or not. Uh, a lot of it's going to deal with the, the variables uh, that are uncontrollable, uh, health being the biggest one. Um, but if this guy stays healthy and he can do that uh, like another 28 times or, or 30 times this season, I mean, wow. Uh, and he fits perfectly for the Giants because they're not going to ask too much of him. You know, it's uh, they're not going to ask him to throw 200 innings. They're not going to ask him to, um, you know, pitch into the eighth or, or, or whatever, or even seventh or even past the sixth. You know, if he, if he can do that for five or six innings, and we've already talked about the, the bullpen depth they have. I mean, it, it's it's a perfect way to plug him in, get the most out of him and, and, and hopefully keep him healthy and keep him producing at that kind of level. Because, yeah, you're right. Fielding independent pitching, what, he recorded 15 outs and 12 of them were strikeouts and, <laughs> and, and, and I had to, I, I was writing that, you know, I was about to write the sentence that, you know, for 12 of them, neither an outfielder or an infielder had to, you know, twitch a muscle fiber to get the out. But there was, there was one drop strike and, and Joey Bart had to throw to first base. So that wasn't quite true. So 11 of the 15 outs, those guys could have just been standing around picking their nose and it wouldn't have made a difference. Oh man, that would be wild. That, that's when you start messing around with two outfielders and, and five infielders and maybe four outfielders. I don't know. Get cap. Kapler can get goofy when Rodon's out there, maybe. Um, 
now Logan Webb, last year, his strikeouts per nine inning, he struck out 9.6 batters per nine innings. This year, he's down to 4.5 per nine innings. Are you worried about him? Uh, oh, no. terrified. Yeah. No. What, regression, <laughs> screaming regression. But he looked good. He looked really, really good in his first outing. I mean, that is his stuff is just so mix and match. I mean, it's going in, it's going out, it's going up, it's going down, it's going uh, horizontal, which a lot of batters aren't seeing. It is, uh, he looked as good as he did when he finished the season against the Dodgers. Yeah, all all, all that had to happen was for for everyone to convince him that his, his stuff is good enough to live in the strike zone and he can get people out within the strike zone and just just throw strikes. With that kind of movement, um, it'll work. And and he bought in, obviously. He bought in, um, you know, at some point early last season and uh, or even before that, given the spring training he had in 2021, he looked unbelievable and then had a little bit of a shoulder flare up and then got past that. And uh, yeah, he's he just he, he knows he's the dude now. And and you talk to people in that rotation, uh, they, they can't wait just to see what the next guy's going to do, to see what the next guy's going to do. You know, Anthony DiSclefani even, you know, didn't have a, a terrible start. Uh, he There was a lot of contact and a lot of the contact was not fortuitous, but, you know, he probably could have uh, given him a quality start as well with the stuff that he had um, on Sunday. And and now you're going to go right into Alex Wood and and then Alex Cobb making his debut. And, and this is a guy who was throwing 97 in the spring. And this is kind of funny. So I, I was doing a lot of, you know, um, how many starts has a guy struck out as many as 12 in as few as five innings? Uh, okay, let's populate the list. How many people have struck out 12 throwing fewer than 90 pitches? Let's populate that list. <laughs> and you 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 look at the other performances on there, and some of them are just mind-boggling. Like, how did Chris Sale strike out 12 on 61 pitches in an outing? I, I, I don't know. I don't know how that happened. How did Greg Maddox strike out 13 on 81 pitches uh, in a 2000 start against the Montreal Expos? I mean, that, unbelievable. Um, but but there is one other one on that list. Alex Cobb is on that list. He um, he struck out 13 in four and two thirds innings in a start against the Padres in 2013. And I mentioned that to him and he remembered all the details from that, including the fact that he had a strikeout wild pitch and got four strikeouts in an inning. And the guy who reached was was Will Venable and he stole second base and he advanced on, I, I, for, oh, I forget, it, something else. And then he scored on a balk. So Alex Cobb, <laughs> probably the only pitcher in baseball history to strike out four batters and commit a balk in the same inning. And uh, I, I, am, I have the wealth of that knowledge now, thanks to my baseball reference search and that conversation. And now you have it uh, also. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
Now, I saw that tweet and I was fascinated by it. The one piece of information I'm hoping that you can fill in. Does he feel like he deserved that balk? Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I didn't get that far. I'll have to, I'll have to follow up with him on, on that. He's going to think I'm weird and he's never going to want to talk to me again. <laughs> no, it's good. that I, I'm glad that you brought up Alex Wood and Alex Cobb because that is the one thing that, that is really different to me about this year's team. And we'll see how long it lasts because rotations are always in flux and pitchers are pitchers. Um, but when I was looking at the, the probable pitchers for the Padre series, it's like, Oh, yeah, we haven't even seen Alex Wood and Alex Cobb, and they're pretty good. And I don't remember the last rotation, like even when you're like, yes, we've Lincecum and Kane and Sanchez and Zeta and Willemar. You know what I mean? Like there's always like that one guy in the rotation that you're pumping your fist. They get to this guy. It's like, oh, I hope that, you know, he doesn't screw up too bad. And this rotation as of right now on paper is like, oh, I want to see that guy. I want to see that guy pitch. He's a different look than all these other pitchers. And I'm just curious to see what he's got. Yeah. And, and I, I wonder just... uh um, you know, how many starts all five of those guys will combine to make. And, um, you know, the one I always flash back to is 2012 when uh, the five starting pitchers, which would be uh, Kane, Lincecum, Zito, Vogel, Song, and Bumgarner, uh, they, they started 161 out of 162. And I, I just, I, I, I love that. I love looking back at that and thinking, okay, that's probably not going to happen uh, again in baseball with, with all the load management and stuff. Eric Hacker, by the way, was the one guy who started <laughs> the other game. And that was because of a doubleheader. They had to play six games in five days. Um, but uh, yeah, you wonder how many starts they're all going to make. And I, I don't think it's going to be, you know, 150. It's even if they all stay healthy, I think they're going to try to pace people and, and have people sort of, you know, have, have the little um, flare up of something that uh, puts them on the injured list just to freshen them up a little bit. And I think that's one of the reasons that they were able to, to play so well in September last year and, and hold off the Dodgers is because everybody had taken their little break here or there, um, with the exception, I think, of Kevin Gossman. And and they were able to kind of get that second wind. So um, yeah, I'll be really interested to see not only how this rotation works, but how they sort of pace that work. Yeah. And it feels like the Giants have done a really good job. We've talked about it, uh, uh, preparing for the eventuality that they're going to have to go into that depth. I mean, you have Sam Sammy Long and Tyler Beattie on the active roster right now. You have Jacob Junis with options in in uh, AAA with Carlos Martinez maybe ramping up and getting there uh, at some point. Like they have uh, Sean Jelly is on the 40-man roster. You have uh, Castro, Gregory Santos. Like they have guys to act as openers, to act as piggyback starters. They can mix and match. Do you do that if you're getting like, if you can get five innings from uh, Radon like you got this weekend, uh, you're not going to mess with that. I don't think you're going to take him out of his rhythm just to give him a little bit of rest. So I, I think it, it's up to the starting pitchers. Like if they pitch as well as they have pitched, maybe you don't need that rest. Like maybe they can cycle in uh, these guys as long relievers and, and give the bullpen a little bit of a blow. But I I don't know. I think they're prepared for any eventuality, which I'm not used to, really. I mean, not just because I watched the Giants over the years, but just watching baseball and other teams. And generally, you don't have contingency plans all the way down like so many turtles. Yeah. And, and Matthew Boyd, too, in a couple of months, hmm. they'd have right. him uh, probably as well. So um, we know that every team is going to have 
pressure points in the schedule in a regular year. And I think they're going to be even more kind of pressurized uh, with uh, including the the very back end of this first road trip when they have to sort of uh, uh, sneak in a game at Milwaukee. Um, so go to Cleveland, go to play the Mets, go to play the Nationals. And oh, sorry, no, you do not get your travel day uh, on the way all the way back to San Francisco. You have to stop in Milwaukee and play one more game against the Brewers. So I, I, I would I would be shocked if by the time we get you know through even that road trip uh, and start the next homestand, um, whether they don't sort of sneak in a bullpen day or 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 something just to try to give people a little extra rest. Um, and and you know what you, you think? Well, you don't want to break that glass too early. You don't want to um, you know you know panic or anything. It, they don't think of it as panicking. <laughs> I mean, you look back at when they took the lead uh, for good uh, in in the NL West. Or I think. I, I think it might not have been for good, but when they when they took the lead and took first place in the Dodgers, they did it with consecutive bullpen games against the Dodgers. And the second one, the Dodgers threw Walker Bueller at them and they <laughs> beat Walker Bueller with their second consecutive bullpen game to move into first place. So they are totally comfortable doing that whenever it makes the most sense. All right, let's move on to talking about the Utes, the youths, the Elliot Ramos, Joey Bards. We can even put Tyro Estrada in there. This is how the Giants took two out of three from the Marlins. Not it's not. You know, they didn't ride on the backs of Joey Bart and, and Ramos, but they made key contributions, key hits, especially Estrada. Lots of good stuff in the field. This is a pretty impressive performance to start the season from the Giants rookies. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that all eyes were going to be on Joey Bart on opening day. We all know the the era that we're moving on from. And you know, this is not a coaching staff that I think, you know, puts a lot of stock in symbolism. Uh, they're very much, I think, uh, clear eyed about the strategy. But you had to know that it, it would not have looked very good optically if Joey Bart had not started on opening day. You know, this is a guy who is a big part of the Giants' future and and we know who he's taking over for. And uh, I think it was probably a good thing that the organization says, hey, we're confident in you go out and get him. And he had a great performance. He hit his first home run, which I think it was probably pretty important. If he didn't have that homer a, a week or two in the season, I could definitely see him starting to press to get it. Uh, mm-hmm. We saw that definitely in 2020 when he didn't get it. He hit one off the top of the wall, I remember. So yeah, he got that out of the way. He obviously uh, handled some tricky bullpens situations, tricky innings, had to do an extra inning with the runner on second base, had to use the pitch com, you know, which which uh, oh, was kind of funny to watch John Brebbia get wired up. And the guys were out there for like two and a half minutes before they even threw a warm-up pitch on the mound because they were, you know, dealing with uh, basically had the geek squad out there trying to, to wire them up. <laughs> but it worked, you know, it, it all worked seamlessly. And that's a lot to ask of, of a young catcher. And and obviously he came through with flying colors. And, and honestly, for our purposes, he was a really good quote. I mean, the things he said about uh Catching Rodon were, I mean, fantastic. So, um, yeah, he, he definitely looks like he's comfortable just being himself in, in all facets of what he has to do in a very, very public role. So entering this season, Joey Bart, 35 games played, 117 plate appearances, three walks. Uh, after uh, this season, he's now played two games. He has two walks. He's he's almost doubled up his career total in walks. And that's not to say like, hooray, he's, he's you know, going to be Eddie Stanky or something. It's just that he is, uh, looks better at the plate, more comfortable, uh, even when he gets behind in the count. It's not as if like, okay, here comes, you know, his obvious weak spot, you know, they're going to go in or they're going to go breaking ball down and away. He looks very comfortable at the plate. He also looks very comfortable behind the plate. I don't think it's not nothing that we've talked about Webb and Radon as the two, you know, highlights of the Giants rotation this weekend. He got both of them and looked pretty good doing it. Yeah, I agree. He did. He looked pretty confident. And, uh, you know, I think there was just the one comment that that he and Duvall threw a few too many sliders 
in the one game where, where Duvall got touched up a bit, but, um, but yeah, it, it's, I, I think that this is, uh, we saw it in spring training that this guy seems like he's, uh, you know, more confident and, and, and honestly drawing the walks, you know, you could say, well, that's a skill, you know, the plate, the plate discipline, the zone awareness. I mean, it, part of the skill is just a big part of the skill is just mentally feeling comfortable, feeling like you're in control of that plate appearance. And, uh, and if you feel like you're in control, then then that just makes a world of difference. And I, I think we can kind of sense that. Now, moving on to Elliot Ramos, he is up uh, replacing John Brebbia on the bereavement list. I'm reading this is not like it is his time. Now is the time, the, the dawning of the age of Elliot. Like it's more like he's on the 40 man. This makes sense. We're facing uh, a lefty in Tyler Rogers or Tyler Rogers uh, in Trevor Rogers or Taylor Rogers, one of the Rogers kids. Um, <laughs> You know, and we're going to bring him up because he's close. He's on the 40 man. I'm not going to read too much into it, but I think that there is a chance that he sticks or plays his way into regular uh, action where he's not going down. Is that your take on it? Or do you think he's up for good? Yeah, I think it's not too different from the closer situation that we talked about where it's, hey, let's see. Let's see what Mm. this looks like. And let's not let's not be too rigid in our thinking and let's let's stay open minded. Uh, But I think the expectation going in is that this makes sense for the short term uh, he was he was not going to be overwhelmed by this challenge uh, they wouldn't have put him in there if they thought that was going to happen um, they know they have another lefty coming up um, on Wednesday on the series finale against the Padres with Sean Manaya. and I, I I don't know if even if he has a great game if, if it would make a difference for him to stick on the roster when you look at the next road trip I think the Indians have or oh, I did it again the Guardians <laughs> have have all have all Oh, that that's fifty cents in the in the in the fine yep. fine jar. <laughs> Um, the Guardians have all right-handed starters. The um, Mets, I think, are going to also throw all righties. So, um, you know, do you really want him to be a bat on the bench or do you want him to go out and play, uh, you know, and get four or five plate appearances and, and play nine innings in the field at AAA? I, I think we kind of know the answer to that. So, um, but yeah, it's, you know, for, for time eternal, um, you know, you'd hear uh, crusty old GMs and, and farm directors would say, well, you know, we don't want to bring up this star player until we know we're not going to have to send him back down. And there was this sort of implicit uh, thought that, um, you know, it would be crushing to his confidence to go back. But it's that's changed. You know, players understand. They get it. And uh, you ask Elliot Ramos, would you like to have a week in the big leagues? I think he would have said, yes, yes, please sign me up. <laughs> I, I will use any mode of transportation to get there. Um, I will happily buy a ticket if you'd like me to. Um, so, yeah, it's and it's cool. It happened at home. The fans got to you really heard, heard a um the, the the cheers the fans got behind him. I think they've heard about this kid for a long time. He was a first round draft pick in 2017. And yet he was 17 years old when he was drafted. So he's still only 22. He's been young for every level he's been at. It seems like we've heard about Elliot Ramos for a long time. So it was really cool to see him not only get to debut, uh, but but get to debut in front of Giants fans and, and really kind of take that all in. Yeah, it was super neat to see him and, and see him debut at home. And it feels like, like you're saying, he's been around for a long time it's 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 not like he's tyler beating he's been in the organization for you know since the championship era but he's been around and the expectation has been like okay we're gonna see him soon last year when he had that spring training that he did it was like okay this guy is coming up and he's coming up soon look out world uh elliot 
Ramos was coming up, but because he wasn't on the 40-man roster, it just didn't make sense. And then he kind of scuffled a little, little bit last year uh, to the point where he didn't even get a September call-up uh, to kind of whet our appetites. So now that he's on the 40-man roster, we we got to see him. And I, I think this is a good argument for like a 60-man roster because I want all these guys to be able to come up and down. Like I'm excited to see Sean Jelly, but I wish that uh, Diego Rincones were, was on the 40-man the roster because I don't think we'll see him this year. They're not going to put him on unless they they really have to or they're, or they're forced in, into something. Uh, so I just like having a guy like Ramos on the 40-man roster. The best prospects on the 40-man mean you get to see them up and down. And I'm looking forward to seeing Sean Jelly soon. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and uh, I think we will see him because, like you said, they don't have people on the 40-man that they can't use. Uh, there really was only one guy on the 40-man last year that they couldn't use, and that was Alexander Canario, who was a long way from the big leagues, mm. but they had to put him on to keep him away from the Rule 5 draft. And then you just kind of knew, going into the trade deadline, that he mm-hmm. would be part of part of the package for whoever they would get. Uh, just because th- this is just, you have to be able to be have some utility if you're on the 40-man roster, just the way the Giants use personnel. And sure enough, he ended up being one of the pieces that went to the Cubs for Chris Bryant. Um, but so you knew, Ramos, Jelly, you know, these guys that are on the 40-man are going to be up, they're going to be used. And, uh, and I think it was a little more active uh, use, uh, an early use with Ramos in his case than, than we expected. I, I very, very much chuckle at the fact that Farhan Zaidi told Tim Kawakami, like, two days ago, uh, you know, he's a name to watch at some point this summer. And <laughs> at some point this <laughs> summer became right now. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's uh, the thing about, about Ramos, just to add one more thought. Um, I go back to when he was 17, he went to the Arizona Rookie League. And it's really the only time that he... Had had just a fantastic year. We overwhelmed competition. He hit 348. Uh, he had 151 plate appearances. He hit six homers. He hit six triples, 11 doubles. I mean, uh, 1.049 OPS as a 17-year-old, uh, his first time playing uh, really in affiliated ball. And I remember going to the winter meetings after that season and just hearing Bobby Evans uh, talking about you know, all the different trade possibilities. And he he would tell me off the record, I think I can share it now, it's just hard to get anything done because everybody is asking for Elliot Ramos. I mean, in every <laughs> deal, everybody's asking for Elliot Ramos. If, if I think one of the names that the, was out there um, that everyone thought was a great fit for the Giants was Billy Hamilton. Yes. And imagine, imagine if the Giants had <laughs> traded Elliot Ramos for Billy Hamilton. That that's that's a, I think a, a good way to say as much as we laud the the genius of Farhan uh, and of Scott um, Harris. Let's give John Barr some credit for drafting Elliot Ramos and let's give Bobby Evans some credit for not trading him away. Yeah, they, I think that is one of the the main themes of this roster is that, uh, yes, there have been discoveries and there have been developments in this front office really seems like it's pointed in the right direction. But there were a lot of parting gifts at all levels of the organization from the Brandons down all the way down to Marco Luciano and Luis Matos. Like they have they were left some pretty good bones. And it was hard to see that in 2018 because that was just such a bad, miserable season in a lot of respects. It was hard to see through and say, oh, you know, you have some something that's going right, something that's trending in the right direction. Uh, but now we're really seeing it. You know, it's taken a, a few years, but you've got prospects bursting through to the majors. You've got a lot of those players, the veterans are still around, still contributing. So there were some good parting gifts left there for them. Oh, for sure. In fact, as you're talking, I'm texting John Barr right now and I'm telling him, you know what? Congratulations! One of your draft picks just made the big leagues and made an impact. So, um, and I, I'm sure he'll he'll uh, he'll text me back and, and from from whatever uh, um, 
college game he's at right now, trying to find the next uh, the next pick. So mm. no rest, uh, yeah, it's, no rest. It, it, and it is cool to have still some some sort of sort of common threads that link those um, two front offices, like a guy like Jeremy Shelley, who's been a, a part of the Giants front office for like 25 years. And I was talking to him uh, on the workout day before opening day, and um, we were we were going over the minor league rosters and and uh, and all of the the prospects that are at Eugene this year. My goodness, that that is just a loaded loaded. Uh, roster too many to name, but you start with Matos, Luciano, Kyle Harrison, and then you go from there. And I said, have you ever seen uh, an affiliate that had as much talent as uh, as to start a season as Eugene will? And he went back to the San Jose club that had Bumgarner and Posey, and he said he remembers just watching them finishing warming up before a game. And Buster's got his catcher's mask perched on top of his head, and Bum is you know looking 19 years old with his ears sticking out of his cap, and they're just sort of just walking down ready to just totally dispatch a Visalia or whoever they were facing that day. And and he just remembered the sense of these are special players. These guys, we have a chance to do something very, very special and be a really good organization for a long time. And it's going to be because of these, these two guys right here. And that's pretty cool when you can still have that in your front office and you still have, um, you know, people who can be touchstones to, you know, not just what it meant to win championships, but what it took to put it all together. All right. We've got the Padres coming up uh, in a series at Oracle Park. I think one of my things, the drums have been beating the loudest, uh, uh, this offseason was that, hey, don't forget about the Padres. Uh, I think that they are going to be much better than they were last year. They are now, as of right now, the NL West leaders. They took three out of four from the Diamondbacks. Uh, I Do you agree? Don't overlook the Padres? Oh, I definitely agree, especially after they made the trade for Manaya. Um, we know that they're probably feeling like they just need to, you know, keep pace and 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 kind of be okay until they get uh, their big engine back, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, by what June sometime maybe. So um, yeah, no, the Padres are certainly. Uh, I'm I'm sure they're uh, they've got a lot of motivation after what happened last season. They've got a new manager, a guy that I think we all universally respect in Bob Melvin, and it'll be a good test. I think right away just to see how these two teams match up. And, um, you know, that, the, yeah, the Padres are, they're going to be there. I mean, they're, they're not, uh, uh, I don't think they're going to implode again. I don't think they can possibly pitch as poorly as they did from a rotation standpoint. And they got better anyway. And Mackenzie Gore could be up at some point. And this guy was, you know, blowing doors off in spring training like everyone thought he would be by now. So, um, yeah, the Padres just have upside. There's just so much upside there. They've gotten four starts from four different pitchers. One of those pitchers allowed a hit. Uh, that's the second most hits that any Padres starter has allowed this year. Uh, you, you have Sean Manai and you, Darvish, have still not allowed a hit in the 2022 season. So uh, it's going to be interesting for the Giants. Okay, wow. This has been episode 177 of the Bags and Frisbee podcast. We will be back on Thursday to talk about what in the heck the Giants did against the Padres. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you then. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 
$10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.